welcome to the third episode of I'm Here to Help. I'm your guest, Eric Daddario. And today, I'm very excited excited to be having on the show Kate Genevieve. Genevieve. Kate is a registered nurse for 30 years. She's involved in alternative medicine runs. She runs her own Reiki practice and is a member of the Holistic Nurses Association and Mass Organization of Addiction Recovery. Kate also wrote a book, which we're going to talk about in a sec, about her son, Christopher John Gino, as they call him, Genovese, his addiction, which is titled Hat Tricks from Heaven. Mm-hmm. So, Kate, thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Eric. It's nice to be here. Well, you know, again, definitely appreciate you taking the time out of your Sunday on this nice, beautiful day um, to sit down and talk a little bit about Chris and his addiction in the book that you wrote. Yeah. So, if you would, please t- tell us about th- this book that you wrote on your son's addiction. Okay. So, um... Hattricks from Heaven is, as Eric mentioned, about uh, my son Chris Genovese. Everybody called him Gino, probably except for me, so I'm going to refer to him as Gino and as I speak. Yeah. Because most people know him by that. Anyways, um, you know, Gino was a great kid. He was a um, fun kid. Outside of, you know, um, sports or anything, he was just a really good son. We had fun together. There was a six-year difference between him and his brother, so it was like having another family. When the other kids went to school, yeah. I just had Chris to yeah. my, Gino to myself. So, two kids? Three. Three. So my daughter, Jessie, yeah, she's the oldest, and then Danny and uh, Gino. So there's a six-year difference between them. So Dan went off to first grade, and I had Gino to myself, and you know, he's just little and, you know, great kid funny he was always funny yeah and um his older brother played hockey so dan played hockey his cousins played hockey and you know it was just started to get in a family thing so of course at four years old he wants skates on you know and get out on the ice and uh dan was a goalie so he tried being a goalie for a while and hated it so he went for uh later on for defense and he played offense and defense and um So, you know, he was a good player, and um, he got scholarships to a high school, and um, his his dream was to get on Division One hockey. You know, that was his dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like so many that play hockey or sports, right? Yeah, that's really what you strive for. He never he never thought of NHL particularly, but he thought he would be good enough in Division One. You know, he had so many injuries. He had six injuries between um, high school and um, college. Mm -hmm. So high school, he actually played football as well. He just was dying to play football. His his dad played football. Hockey and football. Yeah. Wow, two very high impactful sports. Yeah, exactly. He also played golf, but that was kind of like on the sideline for a while. So from what it sounds like right now, we have a very active kid, right? He's very active out there. He's outgoing I mean he's playing hockey he's playing football golf yeah. he's I'm guessing in shape right taking care of his body yeah, yeah yeah he was really pretty much in shape he um uh you know we didn't see any signs of drugs particularly um until well smoking pot yeah maybe ninth grade I saw him a couple of times and said really you know you're so gonna... I, I'd like you to if you could Touch upon that a little more. What what did you what did you think when you first found him found him smoking pot? If that's how it happened, I know you just said really, but what were your thoughts? Were your thoughts, oh my God, this could lead to maybe doing pills or something? What were your thoughts when you found? No, I didn't go that far in my head. I I mean, his dad. You know, we grew up in the '60s, so you know, pot was all over the place. So yeah. I'm used to it. Yeah, I never liked it particularly, but. It, believe me, my husband liked it, and it ran in the family. I mean, you know, addiction does run in my family. Yes, yes, as it does mine too. So, um, 
my head didn't go beyond pot of thinking pot and he's gonna have trouble breathing and he's not gonna skate right you know yeah. things like that it was so we had a talk afterwards and he said mom I don't really smoke pot that much Casey came over or one of his friends came over and they got high and that was it and you know it wasn't a big thing to me it didn't let me sorry to interrupt but I'm just thinking would your thought process be different let's say you know what you know now and let's say you have another kid and you find them smoking pot oh a whole lot different because I think uh, pot is a gateway drug I really do mm -hmm. and Gino did too when he a few weeks before he died he said you know smoking pot was really what led me on to other stuff yeah I mean he had the injuries and the oxycodone yeah and all that but he said initially you know he liked pot he yeah. said if they just let me smoke pot after my surgeries I would have been fine but of course it was illegal yeah so um, yeah so he went on to the the oxys after all of his surgeries yeah and um, he did get addicted but you know after each surgery he did go off the medication until the next sur surgery you know he'd get injured again mm -hmm. and so to me after the third surgery I'm saying do you really think you should play hockey I mean yeah. you know you keep getting injured there's one thing after another this is a lot to the or, body right or stop playing football you know what are you doing two high impact sports for you went to GDA to you know play hockey for crying out loud and for those of you that are listening right now that don't know the school GDA back then called Governor Dummer Academy now called Governor Dummer that is a prep school mm -hmm. and it's you know you have to be very well educated to go there and you have to be you have to play three sports so you have to be active um, because I know this because I went to a prep school so this just just isn't this just isn't any other school it's just like a you could call it a college but when you're in high school just to let the viewers know um, so you know he, yeah I'm assuming playing hockey playing football sports at the school but at the same time he's got to keep those grades up yeah yeah, yeah. He was a smart kid, though. He wasn't brilliant. Yeah. But he could get away with waking up at 6 in the morning and not have studied all week for an exam and study for two hours and get a B plus. Yeah. He was never one, oh, I have to get an A. Yeah. No, that wasn't Gino. Yeah. He just wanted to pass, like, get Bs. He knew he had to do well to get into Division One schools, too. Yeah. So he, he's tried. Yeah. He tried. Yeah. And um, he lived at school, so... Um, I didn't have my eye on him like I did my other kids and what they were doing particularly. But I saw him enough because I would go, he would have two hockey games a week and football. And I always seemed to be up there. And uh, for some reason or another, so sometimes I'd go up and just have dinner with him alone, stuff like that. And um, yeah, so... Did you suspect maybe anything when he was there? Yeah. You did? I did. I, I did. He had um, major surgery on his shoulder. Okay. And so I know being a nurse, shoulder surgery is very painful. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time to recover. But he had had it. He had the surgery. He got halfway through the season and he had to have it done. Had to have the surgery. So he was on school vacation and I was bringing him back. And um, it had been a month post-operative. Post so... He said, can you stop at the doctor's and get another prescription for me on the way? And I said, Gino, it's been a month you've been on these oxys. No, try Motrin. So it was, okay, so he's using Oxycot. Okay. Yeah, he had, right. a, he had a yep. legal prescription yep. for it. Yep. So I said, all right, uh, you know, he just, he could wear you down. And that's what addicts do. They yep. wear you down. At the time, I didn't know that. But he was saying, oh, mom, you don't know what it's like and the pain and this and that. So... Almost guilting you into it, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm hurting and, and to help me out if I get these pills, it's going to make me... And so you're like, maybe you're thinking, okay, well, you know, I don't want you to have this pain, so... Yeah. Yeah. So we get to the doctors, and I said to the doctor, now, backing up a little bit, I have a nephew, Casey, who had just died of an overdose. 
So, so in the family, we know, right? What can happen right now? You just had you said a nephew die, mm -hmm. and everyone knows the re what can happen if we get addicted exactly. to something. Yeah, right. Because he just lost one of his cousins now. Yeah, one okay. of his very close cousins. So, I said to the doctor, "We just lost my nephew." Um, runs in my family. I'm worried about Gino, and he said. Gino is not an addict. He said it just like that, so firmly, like it was um, intimidating. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, if you know anything about addiction, it, you know, it, it's genetic. And he said, your son's not an addict. He, do you know how bad this pain is? And he shamed me. So I said, all right, we'll take it. So we got it. So sorry to interrupt you, but that's good. Interrupt me. This, yeah. this doctor, it sounds like. He almost, I don't want to say he forced, but the only word I can think about is almost forced you to let your son take these. He she, used the word, he shamed you. Mm. And, you know, for him to say he's not an addict, right? Well, we don't, you never know that, right? Well, right, he should never have said that. But he thought he did. To the point, he thought he knew, to the point where... He said to you, he's not. Your son isn't. So, you know, again, that just shows that how much we exactly know, right? About, a, you just, you never know. Yeah. Right? Like, here's a doctor, and it's the year 2002, something like that. And he's not aware that addiction is becoming a problem. Yeah. And he's just handing out the scripts. I mean, not just him. Plenty of the surgeons do. Yeah. They're, they're very careful now, but yeah. back then they were handing him out. And so I took the bottle from him and I brought it to the school nurse and he flipped out. That's when I knew there was an issue because he wasn't in control of them. Yeah. He needed them to control his habit. Now, now I'm worried. Yeah. He got a habit. He has to have it with him. And he said, that's not true. I just take them when I have to. And Little did I know, every time he ran out, he was getting the scripts on his own, too. He just didn't know I was going to be so upset. Now, how was he getting these scripts? He was calling the doctor, and the doctor would call him into a pharmacy up at... So, how old is your son at this point? He's 17. So, he's 17 years old, and he's calling the doctor to ask him for more. Right. And is the doctor even getting a hold of you, saying no. anything, of any concern, of... You know, how are these already gone? Is is Gino, is he abusing these? Should he just calls them in and gets them more? Just calls them in. And the thing is, it probably doesn't even, he, he hears about it. Yes. Because he has to write the script, but the nurse probably calls it into the pharmacy. So there's a variety of people that could be questioning this. Yes. You know, even I was the only one thinking it, and I talked to my husband about it, and he said, well, let's wait and see. Everything for him was wait and see. Because we had a, a son, Dan, with an alcohol problem, and my husband's not the type that flips out. Like, let's not go to the worst initially. Let's wait and see what happens, and then we'll get him help. So we're at the wait and see point. Yeah, and I mean, and as, again, sorry to interrupt, but as you know, as same kind of thing with my parents. It's almost like you, you don't you don't want to believe, think, yeah. right, that it's your kid. So it's like let's just wait a little longer. And maybe you're saying to yourself, we can prove that nothing is going on, mm -hmm. right? Because you just don't want it to, you don't want it to be your kid. You don't want that to happen to him. Think that he's doing that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's not how you, I'm sure, how you or your husband raised your son, how my parents didn't either. You just don't want to think that. No, you don't want to think it. And then you think it's your fault because... For some reason, mothers are supposed to be able to control everything yeah. and fix everything. That's how I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And now here I have a kid that's on the borderline, I'm thinking, of an addiction. And it could get full-blown. Yeah. But um, it didn't right away. I was in the back of my head, though. Yes, I have to keep an eye on this. And let's talk. we'll have a discussion about it. So we did have discussions about it. And he half was listening, you know. He just wanted to get out the door and go out with his friends or go to a party or go play hockey, anything but hear his mother talk about an addiction. And he would say, Mom, I am not Casey. 
That's Casey is my nephew who died. <clears throat> he said, I'm not Casey. I hate needles. I would never do that. It sounds and, just like my brother who passed away. Mm, you know? Yeah, so this must be a trigger for you hearing all this. Yes, it is. Definitely, mm. 100%. I remember, you know, I remember we can go back to when my mother first found out my brother was smoking pot. She sat him down and said, you know, the stuff this can lead to. She sat him down right away. She said, you know, you need to stop this. And she knew exactly what he was talking about because a lot of the older local neighborhood kids around when me and my brother grew up were using the pills, were using the needles. And my mother said, you know, I don't want you to end up like that. And he looked at her and he got pissed and he said, you're kidding me. You think I'd ever touch a needle? Like, no, I hate that stuff. Like, I would, I could never do that. And, and they're you know, so believable. Yes, yes. It's like they're acting. Yes. And it's not, you know, when my brother said that, I think he honestly, he did, didn't want to do it. He was just smoking pot at the time. But he said it so convincingly to my mother, as you just said, like he would never do it. And I, again, I honestly believe he didn't, but he obviously tried it. So, you know, you just, again, I'll go back to you never know. You never know. You so, never know. Continue. Yeah. So, you know, he, um, the show, the shoulder surgery really led to him realizing uh, that he wasn't going to make Division One. Yeah. Because the UMass coach came out to see him play, and as he's on his, uh, the ice, his shoulder pops out, and, you know, he's shoving it back in. It was so bad he had to go to the hospital. So the coach was really nice. He said, Gino, uh, why don't you do a year of um, juniors and so junior hockey is when you leave high school and you go somewhere and do a year of just playing hockey mm -hmm. right and yep. somewhere like the Midwest or whatever some of his friends did it and at once we all said no he said too many injuries too many he already did five years of high school mm -hmm. he did a fifth year so we said no and he agreed and he was bummed out but he got over it and he went to a division school, um, division Assumption. Two? Okay, yeah. Good where school. he, it was a good school, great school yep. academically. He did great. Yeah. Great people. He had a great girlfriend, Heather. Um, yeah, and, you know, he was in, in a state of mind where, okay, a little more relaxed. I don't have to worry about Division One. Okay, um, yeah, exactly. And, I'll, I'll try my hardest. I'll do my best, but I don't have to worry. That's off me. I don't have to worry about yeah. it anymore. So yeah. he had that attitude, but with that attitude came. So we find out, even when he's not injured, he's using some oxys that are left over. Yeah. Or he he could probably get a script anytime he wanted. So at this point, right now, would you say he's addicted to oxys? I would say he was chipping. Chipping away, becoming an addict. Yeah. Okay. All right. Have you had you seen any physical changes yet? Like maybe you lost a little weight, didn't look like himself. Um, no. Okay. At that point, no. He was still in shape. He he got a really good job right out of college for a lumber company, and um, he was in the office, and then he worked his way up in sales, and he was on the road at his own company car. Oh wow. Yeah. So he was doing well, but that company car ended up being what drove him to start using again, only because he had the freedom. Um, he had really nobody to account be accountable for, except for his boss at the end of the day. <laughs> and he did great when he was high, you know, sales. Mm. And he wasn't using, so he told me every single day. And he would smoke pot back and forth, he still had pain. He left college needing another surgery, and he said, I just can't go through another surgery. So we knew he had some pain, mm. and he was living with that. And so he said, smoking pot takes away the pain. And I'm thinking as a nurse, I wish he could just really go get the shoulder done, take time off from work, and just get it done. Wouldn't that mean no more pills? Right? He's taking them anyways. Yeah. So maybe if he stopped having the pain, it's a know? possibility, yeah. 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 I never know. So we still use an Oxycontin right now. 
Yeah. Okay. So he is on and off, and um, now any of his friends? Yeah. 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 yeah we found out he had a really bad problem. Um, and he was addicted because one of his friends from college, two years, two or three years went by, and he called us and he said Gino has an addiction. He said, I'm telling you this because I do too, and I'm taking myself to California to a rehab. Now, what as a mother, when you hear that from you could, one of his friends, did you think he has an addiction? Or did you think he's just saying this to me? I thought both. Okay. I thought maybe it's the truth, maybe it's not. I didn't personally know this kid. It was one of his roommates that he had for a short time and then Gino moved out and went out on his own so my husband knew him though okay. so I said to Gary talk to this kid he's telling yeah. us Gino has an issue so yeah. my husband was on the phone and my husband's street smart pretty street smart no. so he he gets off the phone and he said that kid's telling the truth I'm going to get Gino okay because my next question was just about to be to you just like I asked you about the pot if you were in that position now, and somebody said something to you like that, would you have a different mindset right now? Because of everything that you know, you could say the epi you have gone through, but this epidemic now. Because I feel like, again, me and you, we're in the same boat. Where when my brother was going through it, your son, it wasn't that. I don't want to say it wasn't big, but it wasn't that big. It wasn't an epidemic. Right. Like it is now. Yeah. Right? Exactly. It's much bigger. We're much more educated on this. So I'm sure my mother, I know for a fact my mother got calls like that. And she said, ah, you know, he, he, Brennan's fine. He's fine. Right? Not believing the person that had called or maybe approached mm -hmm. her or said something. Mm. Right? I would definitely pay attention now. Well, if somebody called me yes. right now and said something about my daughter, oh, well, she has no issues with alcohol or drugs as far as I know mm -hmm. but I would think just being what I've been through yeah absolutely that's on my radar but um, yeah you know um, one of one of the things here that I love um, that you said talking about the book because we've just kind of touched upon this you say I believe the reason for this book is to open parents eyes so they recognize the signs and symptoms of drug abuse. And I think, right, I, I would almost say this is one of the signs right here. Somebody saying something, contacting you to let you know that your son may have an issue, right? And my whole thought, I'd like to get your thought on this too, is if that does happen and you approach them and you talk to them and they don't have one well then that's better than not doing anything I know it. right mm. right absolutely instead of just shoving it to the side and I know some people who are listening who may know somebody who's going who they think may be going through it they're tempted to because they don't want you to be they don't you don't want them to be mad at you right you don't want them not to talk to you or to think that maybe you're labeling them but that may be a tough call to make, but if you have a suspicion, if you think, I believe you need to act, as you, as you talk about too. Mm. You need to act, and you need to act as soon as you believe or think something's wrong, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I had a do-over, yes. I would have um, right that minute gotten him into a rehab. Yes. Yes. But he convinced us that he Didn't did, did spend money, but he isn't that bad. Yeah. So we made him, he was living above a bar, which was probably another horrible move that he made because mm -hmm. they were selling drugs in the bar. And so <clears throat> um, he came home with us. And so that's when we realized, boy, this kid does have a problem here. You know, he, he does have a problem. And, um, um, 
So he's living mm-hmm. above the bar. Yeah. No, we made him move he, okay. because it so. was just, he couldn't afford anything. He spent all his money. Now we're finding out he was using my credit cards that I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And that was another heads up for parents, hide your credit cards, lock them. You know, you can lock, they have a thing you can put in your wallet that automatically locks them. I mean, I just, I had written three other books, so I had credit cards that I used for those books, like yeah. if I needed something mm-hmm. or whatever. I forgot I had them because I didn't use them that much. They were upstairs in a box with the rest of my other books. He found them. He used them. Mm. He maxed them out. Yeah. And that was horrible. That I mean, talk about being, I was mad. Uh, so I was, I was going to ask you how did that make you feel your your son well it made me feel mad but then I said oh my god oh my god he's spending all this money suddenly it went to him I mean if I wanted to we could have pressed charges and gotten that money not worried about it but he would have gone to jail Mm -hmm. and we weren't ready for that okay I know some I know some people like a grandfather here in Woburn, his grandson stole money from him and he pressed charges and the kid went to jail. Maybe that was the best thing for him. Yeah, maybe. Gino, I couldn't do it to him. I wasn't at that point yet send him to jail. Yeah. You know, let's get him some help. Let's, let's get him some help. His help was he'll go to meetings, NAA and AA meetings. Um, he'll see a therapist. He'll get on Suboxone, um, which is a drug that they use um, to keep you from um, having uh, withdrawal symptoms, and you can stay on it for a while and and not be sick, not drug sick. But he wasn't even ready for that. Uh Uh-huh. Excuse me, because he sold the Suboxone for heroin. Yeah, Yeah. okay, so now, now he's using heroin. Now he's using heroin. In between this, he still was working, but he got in another car accident, and he lost his job. And they found bits of drugs in the car, so they had to let him go. Yeah. I mean, they gave him so many breaks. It was a great company, and they loved Gino. They really did, and wanted him to get some help, but they had to let him go. So he was brokenhearted, and then his girlfriend can't stand it anymore, so she leaves him, and I don't blame her. Um, you know, one bad thing just kept happening to him after another, but he couldn't, he couldn't stop. He couldn't control himself, really. It, it's that disease, yeah. you know, the brain, they're all wired. When you take drugs, it, everybody should watch that movie, uh, that documentary on um, addiction. That's just what it's called, addiction, and it and explains medically what happens to the brain when you're on um What's that called? Heroin. Do you know what it's, it's called? It's just called addiction. That'd be great, you know, for our viewers, viewers if you can. Is, is that on Netflix or? You can get it on YouTube. YouTube. So just addiction. That's it. It's by Susan Holt. Okay. Awesome. She, she works for Channel Two. Yeah. So. Um, I'll try to post that on my, on my yeah, website. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, Eric, um, Eric, Didario sixteen dot com. Uh, we'll try to get that up as soon as I get the podcast up on the website so you guys can click on it and watch it thank you for that thank you Mm. she'll be happy because she's going around the country trying to show it awesome yeah that's good she's pretty good um so how long did he use how long did did he use heroin for well as far as i know i just had to write what i knew yeah so he started using heroin probably um Three years before he died. Okay. Okay. So okay. So three years. Right. I mean, he may be using that way before, More. but I didn't know it. Yeah. I only I only knew what I know what I wrote in the book. Yeah. Okay. I tried to be as truthful and as honest as I could, um, but in hindsight, I was with one of his friends the other night, and he, he, I think he was using longer than that. Yeah. I just didn't know it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So why don't you take us take us to I know this may be a little bit emotional for you, um, but if you could take us, you know, to that day where, you know, yeah. everything happened. You, you found out that your son passed away. Yeah, yeah. So 
Gino unfortunately didn't make it. He wasn't a statistic that got well. And we thought he was going to. He ended up getting another job, and it was, it was Memorial Weekend of 2016. And I was going away with my family, uh, my brothers and sisters, and my husband was staying home. And um, so I had an inkling he might try to use again. He had been so straight for a couple of months, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. But that's all I can say. He may not have. But um, another thing, don't give your kid any money, ever. Don't even five dollars. We, we, so my last guest, we talked about this actually, where her sister would, you know, her, her sister Carrie Ann would ask her for money and you know, you give it to them because they're saying, right, I want it for something to eat. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go do this and you want to believe them and you give it to them. And I did this too. So, yes, you're 100% right. You shouldn't do that. What would you, for the viewers listening that maybe they have somebody asking them for money, what would you do instead of giving well, them that money? Well, uh, you know, what do you need the money for? I need gas. Okay, I'll go fill your car up. Yes, uh, yeah, I... You want something to eat? Um, I'll buy it for you. Yeah. You know, anything but hand them money. Sometimes five bucks, maybe, but... That five bucks adds up because then they go and ask somebody else for five bucks. Now they're on a roll. All it was cheap because they had the fentanyl in it now, and um, so um, we were holding on to his money. And so if he needed money, he had to ask us. So um, my husband did give him some money because he said he was going out with a girl and going bowling. And my he just said, "All right, here's I don't know what he gave him, twenty dollars." Yeah. Something like that. Maybe a little more. Not sure. It doesn't matter because he took it and he used it in drugs. He had no date. He had, like, you can't believe him. Unfortunately, they have to earn the right to believe them. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know. If I was home, I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have done the same thing and and all that. But Now, was he, in that time, was he clean? Or you think he was clean? Did you guys thought he was? Yeah, for two months. For two months, okay. And so had he, he kind of gained some of your trust back a little? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Um, yeah, a little bit. Now, so. were there times where he asked for money when he was in this two-month clean, as you guys thought, and you said no, and he got mad about it? No. Okay. That two months, he... Um, he didn't seem to, no, he didn't. But, you know, you got to remember he's working. So he probably had his own money and yeah. was stashing some of it. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I didn't think anything would happen because with this new job he had, it's in North Woburn, and he was sick of asking us for rides. So he went and bought rollerblades. Wow. So Thursday night, he went and bought rollerblades online, and they were delivered on Saturday when we found out he died. Wow. That was the saddest thing, seeing those rollerblades. Oh, no, wait a minute. I'm sorry. That's all wrong. He, They got the rollerblades. He had the rollerblades, and he was all excited. That's right. And um, he was rollerblading around the neighborhood showing the young kids. That was Thursday night and Friday he died. Yeah, Friday night. I forgot about that. So... How, did, how, how if you don't mind talking for a sec, how, where, you know, how did you find out? Well, I was, like I said, I was in New Hampshire, uh -huh. and um, I really thought he'd stay straight, and Gary was home, my husband, so I wasn't really nervous, and I was trying not to hover over him and constantly be questioning him, so I said, this weekend's for me, I'm not going to call him. Yeah. Just out front, my sister and I waved to him, he was holding the dog and waving to us goodbye, he looked great. I'm and sure he, you too, maybe on your way to, to where you were going probably talked you know you said this is he knows doing great right everything's you know yeah really I did looking. I said yeah. he's, he's looking good and yeah, excited about it yeah he just bought new rollerblades and this and that so we were um, you know we were pretty happy and then um, I got the call on um, my daughter called me in the middle of the night on Saturday and said that um 
He overdosed. He was. And so your yep. So continue. Your daughter. My daughter Jessie called me and said, "Mom, Chris died," and I was in shock. I said, "No, he didn't. Don't say that." And then I just I don't know what happened for the next ten minutes, other than my brother and sister got on the phone with Gary, and um, Gary said, "Don't let her drive home. I guess I want to drive home that minute at two thirty from New yeah. Hampshire," and they wouldn't let me. And nobody said we. None of us should be driving now. Let's wait till the morning. I said, "Oh no, I can't wait till the morning." But my husband said, "Just lie down, try to get some sleep, and just leave at six thirty. So I, I'm Catholic, sort of, and so my sister and I lied down. Are you Catholic? Yes. So you know the rosaries. Yes. So we lie down in the bed together and said the rosary all night long. Over and over. Mm. My yeah. sister had one Valium with her, and she gave it to me in case I needed it yeah. to calm down. But I yeah. basically was in shock. Yeah. So we left. On the way home, I called friends and told them. Um, but what happened was I didn't even know what happened. That he died, but he was in the den. And uh, my husband and him were um, watching golf, I think. And he had he had a curfew; had to be home at ten. So um, he they stayed up till midnight watching something. Yeah. And when he went, my husband went to bed, he just said, "Chris, sh shut the lights out, and I'll see you in the morning." And he said, "Okay, Dad, see ya. Love you." We always said, "Love you." At least that was said. And. Um, he Gary came down. He saw lights on downstairs, and he we always shut the lights up. And he came in and he found him. So your husband found him. Yeah. So Gary found him. He called nine one one immediately. And Sean Martin, who I don't know if you know him, but he he um, was a cop. He is a cop, and he skated with Chris for years. Okay. Yeah. So he showed up, and they both tried to do CPR until uh, um, the firemen came and take him but he was already gone yeah yeah that's, it wouldn't have mattered it's hard it's yeah. hard you know I mean so many of these of these stories that I've heard they're they're similar but not you know same thing with me get a call 1030 at night before I go to bed someone call, crying on the other side of the phone his buddy um, they're at the hospital and he's like it's your brother he's gone and I didn't know, I didn't have the caller ID, so I'm saying, like, what are you talking about? Like, who is this? What's going on? And he's, you know, he called me and he told me, and I sat in the bed for a second. I didn't want to believe it. I hung the phone up, and, you know, two, probably a minute and a half, two minutes later, the doctor calls me and says, you need to get down here now. And I said, why? He goes, you need to get down here now. And I'm like, why? What's going on? He's like, it's your brother, okay? He's like, you need to leave and get down. And I said, well, why? He goes, you need to. I go, I just flat out asked him. I was waiting for him to tell me. You needed to hear those words. I needed to hear those words. And so finally he wouldn't tell me. And I just said, is he not going to make it? And there was a pause for a second. He said, there's probably about a 95% chance he won't. Now, meanwhile, my parents. Yeah, where are they? They're on vacation oh, no. in Atlantis with my younger brother. So I sat on my bed and I said to myself, well, I know what I got to do next. I know I got to call my, my mother, my father. What time is it? It's probably 11.30 now. At night? At night. And I'm saying to myself, how do I do this? I sat on my bed for like 15, 20 minutes thinking about what I was going to say. And I finally got the courage to call my mother and my heart was pounding. I thought I was gonna have a heart attack. As soon as my mother answered the phone, she knew. As soon as I said, Mom, I need to tell you something, she goes, what, what, what? She knew something was wrong. And when I told her my brother overdosed, she started screaming. And they had to get the earliest flight home, which wasn't 
you know, they weren't home. That was 11.30 at night. They weren't home the next day till like, 3 or 4 o'clock. Oh. So she's on that plane the whole time. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then he's on life support, pulled the tubes, and he's gone. So, similar but not similar. Um, but I'd, I'd like to, for a sec, I'd like you to talk about grief. The grief, mm. right? After this has all happened. How do you? How are you dealing with it? What are you thinking when after it happened? Well, fortunately, I believe God gives you the strength to carry on for the next five days because the next five days were horrible. I I, I feel like it's and you're in a state of depression. I just I didn't even feel depression. I felt we have to get things done. Like, I went into the mode, he's gone. But I, it was like I was planning a funeral for somebody else. Yeah. But That's it, exactly how I felt. You know, it's funny you say that because we had aunts and uncles for me making collages of Brendan and doing all the stuff. And, you know, it was actually funny. I sat back for a sec and I looked at everybody and everyone's, it definitely helped us. But everyone's laughing. They're talking about Brendan's funny stuff he did. So it helped you a little. Um. But yeah, I can definitely relate to that. You gotta yeah. get yeah. But I'm glad I called my friends because when I got home, um, the house my house started to become full of my friends and family and um I wasn't left alone probably for three days. Mm. And we couldn't get a hold of my son Dan in Russia. He his um he was traveling. Okay. And we just couldn't get a hold of him. And so we emailed him. We called the school we thought he worked at because he had switched places. He was a, he's a teacher in Russia. Yeah. And I said, oh, we've done all we can do. Yeah. We've uh, called him. We've emailed him. We've uh, Facebooked him. We've done everything. Yeah. And we couldn't get a hold of him. So he said maybe he'll just show up. That's yeah. so typical of him to all of a sudden being the doorstep at three in the morning. Yeah. So that never happened. He didn't find out till a week later. So was he able to come to the services? No. That's he too was bad. not. And it's too bad because a lot of his friends came. That's too bad. Um, but you know, you mentioned this was really hard for us. I'd like you to talk about for a sec because maybe someone's going through this who's listening right now and they don't they think like wow this is horrible I can't get through it but I remember as you said you've got people in your house your house is jammed of people you know and and they're they're there for you they're there with you I'm sure maybe you had people coming by bringing you food oh there's so yeah. much food oh yeah man. helping to support you know anything we can do and then a week or two later it's like gone right mm-hmm. everybody's gone and you don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. And now all you have is just the thoughts of your brother, of your sister, of your son, of your daughter. Mm. And talk about how, you know. What happened after? Well, yeah, like when there was nobody around. And, you know, yeah. and, and how did you get through that? What were your feelings? Well, it was a little different. My family and very some very close friends didn't leave me alone. They must have organized to be somebody to be here because I wasn't alone for a long time, wow. uh, for about a month. That's awesome. There's al- always somebody here. But I, I, I just kept thinking he was alive. Like I was upstairs two days after we buried him and I could have sworn I heard him say, Mom. Yeah. I could have sworn, yeah. and the dog looked at me like he heard it too. Yeah. We both looked at each other and ran to his room. And I said, oh my God, Chris, if you're here, just make it known some other way in your spirit world. And that's when, oh, the pain just set in so badly. Yeah. It was just so awful. Yeah. But I knew, it felt like, somebody said, well, what did it feel like? It felt like, absolute intense loneliness a loneliness that won't go away and you know when you went away to college were you homesick at all oh yeah it felt like that when I went to nursing school and I was only three miles away in Boston 
Yeah. Wow. I got so homesick. My heart ached. And that's what I felt when I realized he was dead. I felt homesick. Yeah. Yeah. My, part, my home has been split. Did you? He's not coming back here. Were you, you know, I know for me, I probably laid in my bed for three days. I didn't really do anything. My blinds shut and everything. And I just laid there and all I could do was cry and think about him. Cry and think about him. Cry and think about him. And then I don't know if you had a moment like this. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I'm going to try to sum it up. And then one morning, my younger brother comes to me and said, you're never going to believe what happened last night. And I think this was a sign to let us know. He's okay. And you guys, not move on, but just know that he's okay and you can continue to live your life. My brother said, man, I had a dream last night. In the dream, it was me, him, and dad. And we were hanging out and we were playing all day. Then the day ended and we looked at Brendan, me and dad, and we said, we got to go. You can't come with us. You know what happened. And he started crying. And he said, but I want to come. And my younger brother, Evan, and my father, you can't. You know what happened. You can't come with us. And so they all hugged and they went their separate ways. And Brendan said to them, I just want you to know, I don't want, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget my younger brother saying this. I don't want you to be mad. I don't want you to be sad. Be glad that you knew me for your 18 years of living. Because my younger brother was 18. Oh. Be glad. Don't be mad. Don't be sad. Be glad. I'll never forget that. Oh. And he said to him too, because my brother was down the Cape when this happened. And he said to him, I'm very happy that you're bonding with my friends down the Cape. I want you to continue. Yes. So oh, this wow. was like, this. So this is real. Th th this, this is really happened. This is wow. Yeah. Wow. So that was. Did you have a moment like that where, you know, may maybe not that deep, but did you have a moment where it was like, all right, you know, he he, he wants us to, he want he, he 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 wants us to keep living. He doesn't want us to hold on to this, mm -hmm. and you know, just to keep. I don't want to say sulking, but to think about it and cry and, you know. Was there a moment like that for you? Or? Oh, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I had several dreams. And <clears throat> he was known when he was alive. He would always, like, jump in our bed in the middle of, between my husband and I and just sit there and chat and, you know, talk about life. And I mean, even two days before he died, he was doing that. So I had a dream. He jumped in the middle of the bed. And he said, I'm okay. You guys don't worry about me. Mm-hmm. Please don't worry about me. Then the next night, I had a dream of him. It was so real. He was playing hockey in heaven. And Is he, that what sparked this for the book? Or no? Yeah, it kind of yeah. did. Yeah. Um, he was playing hockey in heaven, and he was slow. And my husband <laughs> my husband always used to go, say, get the piano off your back. And, <laughs> <a little> faster. <laughs> and so he was going as slow as he could, but he got he, he scored. And so then I woke up and I said, you have hockey in heaven. And I heard him say, yes. Wow, that's awesome. So, and then the third dream was he sat on the edge of my bed and looked at me and said, I'm coming back. I'm going to do it right this time. I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to have two kids. Now, I don't know if that was just a dream or if he's going to be reincarnated. I don't know. Yeah, wow. But I've gone to mediums. Wow. Oh, my mother did too at the beginning. She did. She did, and it was, I guess it helped her a little, um, but. Well, I think they were they're very you do. real. So you do, very Some people do, some, pe some people don't. Okay, all right. My mother kind of, she, you know, what she said about my brother, she, she believed. I mean, she went the whole nine yards. She didn't pay with a credit card, so they couldn't look my mother's name up. Yeah. She paid with cash, and, you know, she made sure that no one in the audience really knew who she was. She didn't show her license or anything. Because she, you know, I mean, if you, they can just hop on the can, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and find somebody. So, um, well, you know, this has been great. This has been awesome talking to you. I actually, I, I have three questions. Um, I think we possibly have time, you know, for two of these questions. And one of them is, you know, somebody, somebody had, 
emailed me and they said, how can I deal with my grieving if I know somebody um, that I've lost? You know, what do you think the best way to possibly go about grief when, when losing someone to this? Mm. That's a good question. Well, for me, I knew I, I needed a support system. That's, yeah, that's big. That's so huge. I, I um, go to Grace Chapel, and they have a grief group there. And, and it's nationwide. It's the same grief group. It's based on um, the Christianity way of looking at grief, yes. which was so helpful to me. I actually went for two years. Oh, wow. Yeah, every Tuesday night I went for two years. And then it helped me so much. Now, I still go to grief groups, but I go like once a month. Not as many. Yeah, okay. I'm online. I'm I'm the type of person who Gina would hate it if he knew we were sulking and crying. I mean, he, it was not him. Yeah. He would. He wants us to move on. I know he does. I mean, he told the psychic that, but he, I knew that anyways. Mm, yeah. And so, grief groups are very important, and I think thinking positive, like I know I'm going to see him again. Yeah. Yeah. No. Because yeah. I Definitely. just believe that. Definitely. I know I'm going to see him again. Yeah. Now, what shape or form, I don't know, but um, I think I will see him. I know I'll see him. Yeah. I felt him around here. Um, they say that there's a, just a little veil that covers in between the living and the dead, like a slim veil. Wow. Mm. I, I believe... I think your brother could be... Brendan could be here and Chris could be right here with us, listening to this whole thing. That's true. When I wrote the book, I sat here... This is where I wrote it, and in the living room. I mean, in the kitchen. In the kitchen, in the right kitchen. here. I didn't change space thoughts at all. I come home every day from work. I sit here from three to six and uh, five to no, five to seven. Type away. Gary would be making dinner, and I'd ask him questions, like, "Did this happen? Did that happen?" Yep. And sometimes neither of us knew the answer. Do you know that light would flash? Would flash go on and off? Wow. I knew it was signs. Yeah, definitely. Definitely signs. Yeah. They're all over. Definitely. So grief groups, talk to friends and don't don't go on Facebook. Yes. Yes, I agree with that. I I think one of the biggest things too though is that people is holding it in. Right? Holding it in. I feel everyone is different, but I talking about it with somebody, a grief group. A loved one, a friend. Yeah, it's better to express somebody. those feelings, those emotions, yeah. right? Don't. And I know a lot of people at the beginning, and some people hold on to it. What if I had done this? What if I had done? Yeah, you know, I you can't. I mean, I could very well. I'm not gonna go into it, but I would go out with my brother, and I wasn't drinking, I wasn't smoking. He was doing cocaine. He was doing oxycotton. I knew. I didn't say anything. I could still today be blaming myself for his death. I wish I had said something. You know, if I, as you said, if I had to do over, I would, I would go back and I would tell somebody. I wouldn't be afraid of him yelling at. But I didn't do that, and there's, there's nothing I can do about it. I have to move on, and I, you know, I. Well, it wouldn't have stopped him from using. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and maybe, maybe it would have. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't have. Probably wouldn't have because the drug is so strong. Yeah. It's, it is nice. really strong. I mean, it it takes only God. Yeah. To have them stop and that's them to want to stop. That's a great. That's a great outlook. Um, another question would be: This is a great one. We, we might do three because I really feel these two questions are, are pretty important. So, your thoughts on? And I think you're the perfect person to ask this. You're a mother, and you're also a registered nurse for thirty years. You have somebody who's an addict, and they. You want to put them in a rehab, they have a problem, but they don't want to go. Now, you talked about not arresting them. Some people believe that sectioning them, arresting them, is the best way to go. What are your thoughts on that? Like, what, what, would, what, what would you say the best thing would be, again, if you had an addict, you had a problem, but they didn't want to go away to treatment? Um, well, first of all, it depends on their age. Okay. Like with my son, Dan, he was underage. By the way, he's been straight for 20 years. That's awesome. 
I know. That's so there is hope out there, who's ever listening. Oh, definitely. And anyways, um, he was underage, so we had no problem, like, you're going. Yeah. And so he went to Gosnold, he went to five different places, and he finally, yep. finally got sober. Yeah. Um, with Gina, it was harder because he was 27 okay. at the time. And we didn't have the opportunity because every time we said, we're going to section you or something, he'd leave. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden he'd just take off and I wouldn't see him for two weeks. So where is he? How do you section him if he's yeah. not available? Yeah. And then he'd come home. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm going to be straight. And he had to want to. Yeah. So when we got him on Suboxone, I really thought that that was going to be the key because we had him on a waiting list. There was no no sober houses. Mm. There. there was no re- There was nothing mm. available. What do you... It was winter. What are your What's your take on methadone, suboxone versus the meetings? Because my personal, this everyone has their own opinions. My opinion is, I think if you do it that way, where you actually are able to naturally deal with the emotions and talk about it with others, and actually have a support group, as you talked about, what maybe you know you talked about with someone who has a daughter again a friend a sister a brother a cousin a nephew mm. you, them getting us I feel like if you are struggling with this then you using the pill the suboxone you using the methadone I don't think it's as effective as going to those meetings as being able to you know connect with other people who are going through the same thing who are gonna help you you're you're basically a prisoner till you wake up, you get the ride, you get your dose, you come back, and that's it. Well, if it, if that's all you do, but I'm on the fence about it. I'm not quite sure what the right answer is. I see some people that really want to get off methadone, want to get off Suboxone, so they do everything. They go to meetings, they talk, they cut down their dose, and they finally get off. Yeah. That's a good scenario. Yeah. A bad scenario is they get their methadone and they're on it for thirty years. Yeah. Well, and I mean, they don't try. They don't do anything. No, I don't. I can't remember, but I have a friend. I have plenty of them um, who told me that you are actually able to get high. I forget if he said it. If it was, he was either on methadone or suboxone, but you're able to get high somehow on it. He recently told me this. So it's just I, again. I just feel oh, like really? oh yeah yeah and suboxone. It might be. It might be the methadone, but he told me he's a he's a heroin addict himself. That you, you are able to finagle a way to do it. Yes. Oh, I'm sure there is. Yes. Yes. So I. Mean, I know on methadone you can. Yeah. Yeah. I know on methadone, suboxone's a little bit better, although it is hard to get off of. I hear, very hard to detox from that. But. Um, okay. Yeah, I I can't give you a direct answer because I think it's an individual choice. Mm-hmm. I never wanted him on either of those, and when he said methadone, I almost died because I hate methadone. Yes, yes. But um, the suboxone, if he had done it correctly, I think he'd be alive today. He just wasn't ready. Yeah. Bottom yeah. line. Um, okay. Well, so the last question here is somebody had DM me on Facebook, and they asked me, what do you do if you have if you're taking somebody in your family's maybe taking prescription pills um, and you have an addict who's living in the house lock them up what do you do with them to, to keep them away from that person mm. what do you yes. think the best way right maybe to to lock them up somewhere or lock them up carry them around with you lock them in your car um I used to carry my pocketbook all around. I mean, he stole so much from me that I wasn't aware of. Because yeah. I had had two surgeries while he was... Going through this. Going through this. Okay. So he stole. And he was so manipulative. He said, you took those. You, you know, he was just so manipulative. So I was going down and on, and people would tell me what to do. You know, give them to the next door neighbor if you can trust them. Yeah. yeah. And go and get them when you need them. Stuff like that. But you don't leave them on the open unless you want them to stay sick. <laughs> you know? I know. I know. Well, 
Kate, I can't thank you enough, you know, as I said at the beginning, for taking taking the time out of this beautiful Sunday to come on here and talk about your book, um, about your son, Christopher, also known as Gino Hattricks from Heaven. And it can actually be find it can be found on Amazon or you can go to Barnes and Nobles or it can be purchased as an ebook, correct? Mm-hmm. And you can buy it on her website if you go to www.kate k a t k a t e genovese j e n o g g sorry e n o v e s e books.com you can purchase um, this book and it i i am in the process of reading it i dove into it and i've you know found it to be very informational it covers everything that we've talked about today from the start um, to the end and she talks about the grieving and all of that so I highly recommend that you go and you pick this up at a Barnes and Nobles or you can as I said grab it as an ebook or you can grab a hard copy so I thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast and on my next episode, I will be sitting down with another mother, my mother, and we will be talking about my brother's addiction, and we'll be diving deeper into that. So until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and look out for yourself.